Welcome to the Behind the Bliss podcast, where Mary Scott Mercer and Rachel Autry bring weekly conversations to encourage, inspire, storytell, and share. Each episode is designed for you to feel met in your mess and balanced in your bliss. Here's today's conversation. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Behind the Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Mary Scott, and today I'm thrilled to have my friend Karen Neiman on the show. Karen is a Proverbs 31 ministry speaker and a New York Times bestselling author. She has a passion to help women live their priorities and love their lives as they serve God and others. I know that if you follow me on Instagram, you guys know that this is one of my most favorite Bible study resources ever. Karen even gives us a little bit of her insight on how she studies the Bible and gives us such practical advice on how we could do the same. She also has a new book coming out this February called Keep Showing Up. Karen tackles the topic of marriage, y'all. She says the opposites initially attract, but over time, opposites can attack. Karen dives into how incompatibility can become the strength of the marital team and encourages all of us to keep putting in the hard, rewarding work that strong marriages require. So without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Hey, Karen, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I um, We kind of are co-workers. We're, we're both remote employees, but we both work for Proverbs. So this is such a fun conversation because it feels like we're family. Yeah, it does. It's a blast. It's so awesome. It's awesome. Okay, can you kind of just take a second and give everyone um, a sneak into your day, into your life? Who is Karen and just sort of your day-to-day? Sure. I married my college sweetheart right out of college about 30 years ago, and we have three kids. They're all adults. One still lives with us. He's 20, and he rents from us. Uh, But I anticipate him being out soon. Yeah, well, that's why we charge him rent when they turn 20, because then they (laughs) move out sooner. No, I'm just kidding. Exactly. I'm just kidding. But I work from home for Proverbs 31 Ministries. I work remotely. I live in Michigan. And, of course, we Michiganders have our map with us at all times because you just put your hand up and I live right in the middle of the mitten that is the state of Michigan. And I work from home for Proverbs 31 Ministries and I love it and I love to write and speak and encourage women and that about sums it. No pets, no, no none of that other interesting hobby kind of stuff. I, well, I do have black squirrels that run around my backyard, but they're about my only pets. I love it. Are you, has it started snowing and all the things? Does it feel like a winter Christmas wonderland where you are today? Well, you know, it's weird this year. We got really dumped on a couple times in November, and then December's been relatively quiet, but it's it's coming. It's cold, okay. but right now there's no snow yeah. on the ground, but that'll, you know, that could change momentarily. You never know. And yeah, and ironically, it was like a snow apocalypse in North Carolina. So it's I like know. you just switch places with us. <laughs> I know. So funny. So funny. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm just so excited and honored to get to talk to you, but specifically, we're going to talk about your new book that's coming out in February, which is called Keep Showing Up, How to Stay Crazy in Love When Your Love Drives You Crazy. And before we even get into the topic of the book, I think it's important to say that, you know, I've gotten to read the majority of this book. And if you're not married, you don't need to be alarmed that this isn't going to apply to you because I think really everything that you wrote in this book is communication techniques that we can carry into all of our relationships. Wouldn't you say that's true? Oh, yeah. There's so much of it is just foundational relating to another person that you're close to, whether that is your spouse or it could be a coworker or roommate or your boyfriend or whatever. Yeah, I think there are a lot of principles that you can draw out about just that that tough go we have sometimes with relationships, but how we need to just keep showing up and keep giving grace and wiping the slate clean and starting all over again. 
Amazing. Okay, well, what was the birthplace of this book? Like, what have you found over and over, whether it's in your marriage or in the relationships of your friends or in your family that caused you to say, okay, this is a problem and like, we really need to talk about it and have just like an action plan because so many of us circle around the same topics over and over and over again with the different, you know, it might be a different conversation, but it ends up coming back to be the same root issue. And so what what was like kind of the drive for you to write this book? And I would love to just dive into the topic and all of the things that we can learn from it together. Yeah, I think it was kind of twofold, both just seeing in my own marriage, how my husband and I, you know, even though we've been married for three decades, it seems like we struggle with the same issues over and over again. We, mm-hmm. we joke about it. We call it file 13. We'll say, okay, pull out file 13. Here we go again. We're going we're <laughs> to go over these same you know, things we've been stuffing away in our files for years. And so that was one thing. But then I think also, um, and I always feel a little bit hesitant to, to suggest this because I want to say from the get-go that I am in no way saying that marriages don't ever end for good reasons. You know, there are there are some biblical reasons to be divorced, and I don't ever want people to think I'm condemning them if they have a divorce in their past. But I think just seeing so many marriages end of people that we were close to that we thought would be married for, for forever. In fact, my husband and I used to have a life group that met in our home. There were eight couples. This was about probably 12 to 15 years ago. Six of those couples are no longer together. Oh and a, and a few of them were for very um, serious and biblical grounds, and then some of them were just like, I just don't love you anymore. I you you know I was right. young when I get you know, and I feel like it's getting more and more rare to see couples who just say, you know what, marriage is hard, but we're going to keep doing the thing. We're going to keep granting grace. We're not going to just throw in the towel over something silly. And again. There are times to throw in the towel over things that are not silly. But you know, do you know what I'm saying? I just feel like marriage in our culture today is, well, I don't know. I have a friend who's a Christian counselor, and uh, he told me once that at least 50% of the Christian, committed Christian couples who walk down the aisle in the back of their mind think, if this doesn't like make me happy, I, I can always get out of it. And right, no longer right. are we ready to just kind of do the hard work because marriage, it, it's not going to make you happy. <laughs> it's it going to be so true. Yeah, something that yeah. sanctifies you. So, absolutely. I do feel like, I think maybe when I was in premarital counseling, and granted, I've only been married three years this year. And so I'm still in those very early stages. But I think it's kind of cool that we both have a, you know, a different perspective when it comes to this. Cause even now I find myself thinking like, oh gosh, what's wrong with me or what's wrong with us if we're going on a date night and I feel like we have nothing to talk about or maybe we're just like not getting along or driving like we used to. And I think that's a really, it's kind of fertile ground for the enemy to come in and start whispering lies of discontent in your mind and in your heart to make you start questioning or thinking, you know, like maybe do I have to do this forever? And I think Tim Keller wrote in his book, The Meaning of Marriage Before I Was Getting Married, that love wasn't based on a feeling. It was based on a choice and a commitment. And I think I always have to come back to that like I chose to be married to Daniel and I committed that to him so whether or not I'm feeling it or not today I still have to decide to show up and so I think that's like perfect goes hand in hand with the message of your book um because it is like we have to let our feelings um you know, kind of be out of the question. And, you know, as Lisa Turkers always says, we're allowed to let our feelings be indicators, but they can't be dictators. And so um, I think that's so great. What would you say, like, 
are like, I know you talk in your book about the three pillars of things that we carry into all relationships, marriage being one of them, that really um, Im- impact the way that we communicate and our marriage in general. Yeah, I think so often when the issue seems to be the issue, it's really not the issue. You know, people say right. all the time, what is the, the greatest area of conflict and trouble in marriage and some people will argue that it's finances and some people will argue that it's sex or some people will argue that it's you know something else but I think for me it usually boils down to one of three things and I, I wish I could take total credit for these three things but I actually <laughs> learned it when my husband was first a youth pastor 30 years ago we had a woman I wish I could remember her name and give her credit but she was a Christian counselor she came in to talk to the youth about getting along with their parents. And the three main areas of conflict that she gave that day, I thought was so revolutionary. It really applied to my marriage a lot. It actually applied to a work situation I had there. And so I've never forgotten them. And I have seen them pop up over and over and over again. When you think the issue's not the issue, behind that issue, it's really one of these three things. And they are emotional baggage, you know, things that we mm-hmm. have, have carried into our relationships from the past. Mm-hmm. Maybe we were called fat or dumb or something by somebody in our family when we were growing up. Or maybe we had an experience that made us feel insecure about a certain area of our life. So we take this emotional baggage, we drag it into our relationships, mm-hmm. and we don't even realize we're standing there with a suitcase full of baggage, right? So that's the right. first one. Then the second one, oh, this happens so often in marriage and other relationships, is unmet expectations. Like we really think, you know, for example, in a marriage with me, I just expected that my husband would be handy. My dad was handy. (laughs) My brother, who is just this incredibly just simple guy, you wouldn't think he's like a brain smart, book smart kind of person. That's not how he rolls. But he, that guy can fix anything. I mean, he can, Mm -hmm. when he was 12 years old, you could completely take apart a dishwasher and he'd put it all back together with no directions. I mean, super handy. So here I get into marriage and the faucet starts dripping. And my husband looks at me and says, who do I call? And I'm like, what? (laughs) Like you go down to the hardware store and buy a washer here, just let me do it. You know? So we have these expectations a lot of times based on our past, but we expect our other person, whatever, whatever relationship we're talking about, marriage or whatever, we expect that they're going to behave a certain way. Well, that is not, the expectation is not met. So that can cause friction. So emotional baggage, unmet expectations. And the final one is untrue perceptions. When Mm. that spouse or that other person behaves a certain way, we perceive it wrong. Like the time I asked my husband to pick up creamer for my coffee, half and half. Can you bring me home some half and half? Texted him. Well, he comes home with half and half, but it's fat-free half and half. <laughs> and it makes me have the untrue perception that he wish I were that he wishes I were more fat-free too, right? <laughs> you know, oh, so we, yes. we get these, the, we, we just tangle these up. Sometimes more than one of these is present in a situation. Sometimes all three are, but we have that baggage that we drag into our relationship. We have these ex- expectations. They don't get met. And then what does go down, we perceive it all wrong. They may have meant A, but we are so sure they meant B, and it tangles it all up. And I have seen this be true for 30 years. And sometimes we'll just stop and go, now, wait a minute, what what are we dealing with here? Like, I 
I perceive that you're saying this. Is that what you're really saying? And my husband will say, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. So I think if we can learn to be on the lookout for these three things, it can really help our communication and help to alleviate conflict in our relationships. Absolutely. I, I'm thinking of so many things that I have, I've come to fight with Daniel. And I feel like it always boils down to, I think that you think I'm not pretty. And I think you don't think that I'm contributing to our family or whatever it is, but it always seems to come back down to those two things. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't say any of those things. Um, and so I, I'm thankfully, I've realized that that tends to be like me just pushing my own insecurities onto another person, which again is like carrying our own baggage and luggage into our relationship. And so I know that I do this not only in marriage, but in my friendships and my relationships with my parents and in so many, so many other of my um, relationships on a day-to-day basis, especially just assuming, I think, I don't know where I heard this, but the phrase assume aside, kind of like we Mm. are just assuming what people are saying about us and they're never having it, but I'm having all these make-believe conversations in my head that they don't think I'm doing a good enough job that they think you know that I don't look Mm -hmm. good or my hair looks greasy or maybe I put on a few pounds whatever it is I'm I'm just assuming citing myself assuming that all of these things are happening when they're really not and I'm honestly thinking I'm giving people or I'm believing too much about myself I think at that point like I'm really not that important and no one's thinking about me the way that I think they're thinking about me um and so I think that's such an awesome point too what would you say like are some of your um over three decades of marriage like some of your tips and tricks on combating this like obviously you still have these file 13 situations (laughs) in your marriage but what are some of the like tools and back pocket resources that you pull out when you're like oh gosh I'm getting crazy I'm getting a little hysterical here like we know what's really going on like what is your game plan yeah I think a couple of things have been really helpful first of all my husband and I sometimes will stop right in the middle of a a heated debate a heated domestic (laughs) dispute and we'll look at each other one of us will say to the other person you are not my enemy like I think so often when we get into conflict with our spouses we feel like we're on opposite teams and your spouse is your enemy. No, you're on the same team. Satan is the enemy. He's trying Amen. to drive a wedge. He's trying to drive a wedge between us. He's trying to muddle things up. I mean, he does not want there to be healthy Christian marriages out there that reflect the gospel and, and show others the love of Christ by your relationship. He doesn't want that. So sometimes when I'm just like thinking, what in me ever thought it was a good idea to marry this man? Uh, I want out. I will just stop and go, no. You are not my enemy. You are not my enemy. And then another Such thing a that reminder. it is, and it never goes away. I mean, I had to remind myself of that last week as we were moving to a new house and unpacking boxes. And I think it should go down one way and he thinks it should go in the exact opposite order. And we got in a big <laughs> heated discussion. I'm like, no, you're not my enemy. We're going to figure this out. We're going to figure this out. And then I think the other thing that can help us prevent getting to that point where we are in this heated discussion and where we're bringing up other things from the past, you know, not getting hysterical, but getting historical. I tend to do that a lot. Um, (laughs) So good. (laughs) I think that what can help us not get to that point is this little silly thing that I learned from a college professor's wife. My husband and I met when we were in college and there was a woman who was married to one of the professors and she was a mentor to me. And she and her husband had this little thing that they did um, where they would ask each other, do you have any chips? And what that means is it doesn't mean tortilla chips or potato chips, but they thought of their marriage as a fine teacup. 
a very delicate teacup. And if there's a chip or a crack in an antique delicate teacup and you pour boiling hot water into it, it is not going to withstand it. It could shatter mm. apart. And so to prevent your marriage from shattering and your relationship from shattering, maybe temporarily, just while you're in this heated domestic dispute, if you can on the front end say, do you have any chips? Like that means is there anything bothering you? Is there anything that we need to talk about? Because, you know, so often, especially I find, I don't want to be stereotypical, but most usually it's the woman, not the man, but you have these little underlying things that are beginning to bug you. They're starting to get a little crevice, a little crack in your relationship because they're bothering you, but you don't bring it up. Unless you're like me, like I, I bring it up right away. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm one of these people, like my husband, he doesn't ever want to talk about things. He, he doesn't, you know, let's, let's talk about it never. You know, I mean, he just doesn't <laughs> right. like conflict. And, and I would have talked about it yesterday had I known it was going to happen today. I mean, I just want to bring it up right away. But I find a lot of women don't and they will let this little crevice begin and then it gets bigger and then it gets longer. And then when the heat comes, that hot water comes of that interaction, it shatters because you haven't taken care of it. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. you're dredging things up from the past. You're getting historical and saying, and last week when you blah, blah, blah. And when we right. were at my mom's, you blah, blah, blah. But if we can stop, and we, we used to do it daily, like every night before we went to bed when we were first married. Now it's, you know, just once in a while, you know, marriage does it in a way it gets easier in a way it doesn't, but, but the mm -hmm. communication does get a little smoother and we don't have to do it as often now, but one of us will look at the other and say, do you have any chips? Do you have any cracks? And one of us might go, you know, really, there is something that's been bothering me. It's been bothering me since we went out with those friends on a double date that night and you said this in front of them or whatever. Mm -hmm. We take care of it now so that when the heat of the moment comes, we're not shattering apart. That's so good. And I, even going back to the communication styles, I noticed that when I got married and just in different friendships of mine, going back to the, you know, shoving it under the rug or feeling the courage to talk about it, you know, Daniel came from a family that was super open, you know, everyone knew everything about each other in a way that was really sweet, not like kind of weird. Um, I thought it was actually super weird at first, but they just really shared everything and carried um, one another, another's burdens, but also felt freedom to just be like, hey, like, I feel like you're disrespecting me, whatever it is, where I came from a family that was really into appearances and not in an intentional way, but just, you know, we were very well put together. We didn't talk about hard things. It was very much shove under the rug. And so I got into this marriage and, and Dana wanted to stay up until 2 a.m. until we were all okay again. And I was like, this is so silly. I'm tired. Um, you know, whatever. But I've come to appreciate and tr be transformed by that open communication style because I would just, I'm getting to the point where I'm like you, I would rather just know because it's going to show up in some way and in some fashion later um, that is in much more inappropriate setting and we're going to both lose our cool and it's going to be just not worth it. And so I think that's such a great um, analogy to bring in because then it's practical, it's easy to remember, and you both understand. And it's kind of like, I feel like I've developed my own language in marriage where it's like, mm -hmm. you just know what you have to say, like, whatever it is, like, do you have a chip, you know, they're going to know what you mean. And you're going to be able to address it head on without having to like spend two hours addressing the topic. So I think that's really good. I, I did want to talk a little bit about a part of your book um, about you know, what do you do when your spouse and you may not be on the same page, whether that's um, emotionally, whether that's spiritually, um, and you feel this 
overwhelming um, issue with control, at least it's control on my part. Like say I feel, you know, I may be more spiritual at this moment than he is. And oh gosh, I'm worried that because you didn't read your Bible this week, our marriage is going to turn out like so-and-so's. And so I start whipping myself into shape and getting all tattletale and waving my finger and doing all the things. And um, just kind of like what our role is as women and as wives, whether we're in friendships or marriage, where you really want someone to be better than they are. Um, like what, how, what is our role in that? And how do we go about communicating in a way that shows the Lord and enables people to become better without shaming them? Well, anybody who's read any of my books or been around me as a friend for a while will know that I have these little one sentence sermons that I preach to myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think there's um, a couple good little sermon sentences that we can preach to ourselves that will help to address what you're asking. And the first one that I remind myself of often is that my husband is my husband. He is not my God. He is Mm. not my God. He is not going to be able to make me happy, to bring me joy, to know everything about me, um, to always be this infinite wisdom. And, um, you know, just that role that God plays in our life. So often we kind of push God to the side and we expect our husband to be that. Like we think he's going to meet all of our needs. And so I've had to realize that my husband is my husband. He's not my God. In fact, Lisa Turkhurst one time, I remember venting to her about something going on in my marriage and, and her saying to me, and I've never forgotten it, that even the very best husband makes a very poor God. And I think that's mm-hmm. so important to remember. So let's not yes. try to make him in that role where he's going he's gonna to just be solely responsible for our happy because he can't do it. He just can't do right. it. And then the other little sermon sentence I preached to myself is, my husband is my husband, but he's also my brother in Christ. Oh, wow. So I've got to kind of take out the fact that, well, you're my husband and you're supposed to do A, B, and C and think, you know what? And I, I seriously think this so often when like mid-sentence we're in a discussion and I'll think, wait a minute, wait a minute, my husband's my husband, but he's still my brother in Christ. So what if this were one of my brothers in Christ at my church, you know, or if my, mm. my pastor, would I lash out at them with what I'm about to say to my husband? No, I would, wow. I would treat them with respect. I would be kind. Other people that are our siblings in Christ, brothers and sisters, you know, we allow them grace. We encourage them when they make mistakes. You know, we don't expect them to be perfect. We we give them that grace and we encourage their behavior when it is Christ-like. And when it's not, we, we mm. overlook it and we, we give them a second chance. And But we don't do that with our spouses. We expect them to be perfect. So right. I not only remind myself that he's not my God, he's not going to meet my every need, but he's also my brother in Christ and I need to cut him some slack and I need to treat him with respect and, and speak to him the same way I would speak. If right now this was my pastor standing in front of me, would I say this? No, I wouldn't say this. And so I sometimes just stop and remind myself of those two little sentence prayers. That is so good. I, I, I should say sentence sermons. I said prayers, sentence sermons. I've got other sentence prayers that I pray, but those sentence <laughs> sermons, like just remember those in that moment. And it can, I don't know. It just is like the Holy Spirit just taps on your heart, rearranges your thinking, you get your mind on, uh, your your head screwed on right, as my mom used to say, and your mind clear, and then you can just take a breath and, and proceed with the rest of the conversation. Because if I don't preach those little sentence sermons to myself, sometimes the conversation just, it just heads south. It just heads south. But 
you know, the Lord will forgive us even if we've started on a path that's wrong when we just stop and say, I'm sorry, it shouldn't have been like that. And I even say that to my husband, I'm sorry. I would never treat Pastor Noel that way. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Wow. Let me rephrase, let me rephrase that, you know. Right. I'm thinking of so many situations and conversations that I would have probably saved if I had just thought about it like that. I have, I do. I think I forget that that is also my role as his sister in Christ is to give him that respect. And I, I know that the moment I bring, I, I would say this is probably true for any man. I know it's true for my husband. The moment there's even an ounce of shaming or condemnation in my tone, he's already stopped listening to me. So it's not like it's actually achieving anything. So I think that I'm reminding myself of of just giving them that respect and honor that they deserve because I, they do deserve that as our brothers, but especially as our husbands. Um, and I think so many times I just get so scared and I'm, I'm talking and acting out of a place of fear, which has manifested itself into control and control of them. And I have to remember that, you know, God is shaping their hearts and their stories and they're on their own walk with the Lord. And just because, you know, I might think it's going a certain way doesn't mean that like I know exactly what God's doing inside their hearts. And so it's such an important remember reminder for me, I guess one of my own little mini sermons is to say, you know, I like I am not his his God or his Holy Spirit and mm-hmm. God loves him more than I do. And so I have to just remember like I'm just here as a vessel to love him and push him in the right direction. It's not my job to get on meddly in the mess and and shame him into being the man I want to be because that's going to achieve nothing because then he's just pursuing the Lord out of, you know, wanting to please me instead mm-hmm. of just out of the overflow of his heart. So I know that I've struggled with that and I know I hear from a lot of people who feel as though they are carrying the weight of them of their marriage spiritually or of their relationship spiritually. So I know that's super great advice. I did kind of want to switch gears a little bit. Um, one of the things that you do on staff at Proverbs is you write for First Five. And before we go into that, can you just kind of explain what First Five is to our audience so they can hear a little bit about what it is? Sure. First Five is an app available both for Android and for Apple products. That helps you to spend your first five minutes every morning connecting with God by studying scripture. We do one chapter a day, a whole chapter, Monday through Friday. And there are, I don't remember how many now. I used to know exactly how many many teachers we had. Yeah, so many. We have some that that write um, continually and then some that are kind of in the bullpen and just write occasionally. But we have a, a wonderful just realm of teachers all across the spectrum of, of ages and and. Um, just, I just love our team. It's just, it's just really, you, it's it's really everybody brings so many different things. And I, I love reading the different teachings that happen, but these women and men will take that chapter of the day and they will help you to learn things about that chapter that you couldn't figure out by just opening your Bible and just reading it right there. Because sometimes you don't know when it mentions a certain location. Well, where was that location in the Holy Land and why is it important? Or maybe they'll mention a king or a a prophet or a priest or something, and you're like, wow, that's a long name. Number one, I don't know how to pronounce it. And number two, who who were they? So it really helps to unearth the deeper meaning of scripture by not only explaining some of those terms and some of those people, but also diving into the original language. Sometimes there might be a certain word that in the Greek means something different than really it means in the English. And so it really helps you to I like to think of it as, you know, take a magnifying glass and really zone in on that that chapter for the day and really learn what the intended meaning is and 
all the things that go into making up that chapter rather than just, I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking just straight reading the Bible. That's wonderful too. But this is kind of taking it a step further each day to really kind of start to not just read the Bible, but study and apply it. Mm-hmm. And so I just love being a part of First Five. Well, I'm really grateful for it as a resource. And I feel like most people get so caught up in making sure they do their time with the Lord in a certain way. And so I love that First Five is a great resource. But how would, like, what are some daily rituals or tasks that you do, not only as a writer, but as a follower of Christ, to study the Bible and really get to know the Lord? Because I think we just get in our own way sometimes and we don't know the right way or just practically, like, how do we study the Bible and like, how, where do we start? What do we read? Um, and stuff like that. So I'm grateful for First Five, but I'm also just curious from um, a different perspective, like what you do personally and how you would encourage someone to just begin opening their Bible and like learning from the Lord. Well, I would say if someone is brand new to the faith or brand new to reading the Bible, maybe they've been a Christian for years, but they've never really had a daily time and give ourselves grace. We don't always do it every day. I don't always do it every day. I miss days. But our intent is to have a little bit of time carved out each day to read the Bible. I like to encourage them to do what I call, I just kind of made this up over the years, (laughs) jump, jot, and Jesus. And by that, what I mean is you have your Bible there. You have your cute little journal and your nice, comfortable pen. I love pens that have a triangular barrel. I don't know why, but that's very comfortable. I'm super picky about them too. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. And so this jump, jot, and Jesus method is just something I actually started doing in college. So I've been doing it for forever. But I will just start to read someplace in scripture. Say I'm going to read through the book of James. And I'm going to start with James chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm going to read until something jumps off the page at me. So it might be that it's two or three paragraphs and I go, oh, that really spoke to me right there. Or it might be, there are days it's one verse. It's like half a verse, you know? And so something jumps off the page at me. So I will write down the reference, say it's, you know, James 1 verse 5. I'm just pulling something out of the air. Um, So I'll write down the reference and then I'll write down the date and then I do silly little things. Like I also write the weather like sunny and 38 degrees and (laughs) I'll put, I'll put something to like, you know, Spencer's last day of school or something, some little thing that's happening that day. So later when somebody finds my journal, when I'm long gone, they'll, they'll know a little bit about my (laughs) life. So that verse jumps off and then that's jump. And then jot is, I will just jot down my observation about that verse. Now this isn't really going into external things and looking up the Greek and all that. I'll talk about that in a second, but this is just what to do I see from that verse. And usually it, what I jot down is something that's a non-negotiable. And by that, I mean like a verse in James that says, you know, not everybody take note of this. You should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become Mm -hmm. angry. So Mm -hmm. that might jump out at me that day because you know what? I was not quick to listen when my husband and I were just talking. I was not slow to speak. I was fast to speak and I was faster than Usain Bolt, the fastest man in the world, to become angry. So I will just (laughs) jot down. When I'm interacting with others, I really need to learn to listen first and to not be so quick to give my opinion and not be given easily to anger. I need to, to really take this verse to heart. So I'll just write a couple sentences. I'll just jot down my thoughts about that verse. And then the Jesus is, I'll write out a one sentence prayer like, Jesus, help me the next time I'm interacting with someone to remember to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So that's just a little way that I have learned to interact with the text over the years. And again, 
I'm not looking up, you know, what did the word quick really mean in the Hebrew or, or the, <laughs> not the Hebrew, the Greek? What did it really mean in the Greek? I'm not going deeper. I'm just taking that quiet time that I have to just sit for a minute and read my Bible rather than, and I'm not knocking just reading the Bible and shutting it. That's important too. But for me, I don't know. It's easy to just go through the day and then not even remember what you read. And not totally. that that's bad. You know, I don't want to knock that because, you know, one one time someone said this to me when I was in the stage where I was trying to read my Bible every day, but that's all I was doing. I was reading it and putting it away. And I said, I don't know if I'm getting anywhere. You know, I, I don't remember what I read. I can't remember what I read today, let alone last Tuesday. And this person looked at me and said, well, do you remember what you ate last Tuesday for lunch? And I mm. said, no, I don't. And she said, well, it still fed your body. Even wow. though you don't remember what you read last Tuesday, it still fed your soul for that day. So don't want to knock, just reading. I'm about that too. I've got a little Bible in my purse that, you know, on my app on my phone that I can pull out if I'm in the waiting room and just read. That's great. But this jump, jot, and Jesus method has helped me over the years to fill journals and journals and journals. And I can go back and look at them. And it's so interesting to me to see how those verses that jumped off the page were exactly what I needed that day. And as I said, sometimes I read a whole chapter before a verse jumps out at me, and sometimes it's just a verse or two, and there it is right there, what I need for the day. Wow. Well, I think that's so good, too, because I feel – I talked about this on another episode recently with a friend, just about how I sort of was getting in a routine of constantly reading other people's words about God but not necessarily reading the Word of God, (laughs) Um, which I think Mm. is really easy for a lot of us to fall into, especially, um, you know, people who are pursuing the Lord and really wanting to know more, and there's nothing wrong with it, but I did find myself – constantly just kind of reading regurgitated people's or regurgitated words from other people about um the word and so I think this method that you're just sharing is such a practical way for us to kind of just like get back to the simplicity of it all while also still feeling like we're doing some work if that makes sense I don't know I sometimes feel like I have to write it down (laughs) because Mm -hmm. because of that whole like mental escape thing even if I do forget it by 4 p.m like I can remember that moment I had with the Lord earlier that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and still, of course, like have additional resources. Like I know you were going to talk about even just taking it a step further and doing word studies or whatever, but even just taking a step back and asking like, God, what do you want to tell me today? Instead of what did you want to tell so-and-so on that yes. book and that app at that point? And the, it's amazing the way that that can like shed light um, and kind of give even a deeper study. But sometimes I just think we are such consumers in our Christianity sometimes where we are just wanting someone else to have done the hard work. Um, yes. And, and you know what I like to, to think of when I, when I think of that concept? It's like you're eating throughout the day. Like you have your main meals and maybe once in a while you have a snack, right? We need to make our main meal spiritually the word of God. And it's okay okay to snack a little bit here and there and and read a devotional. Those are very helpful or, you know, use first five or whatever, but it's when we flip it and like our main Mm -hmm. meal is other people's interpretations and what their lessons were and stuff. And we barely even snack on the word of God itself, you know? So I, I, I feel like there's a balance and they're, they're both, important, but reading God's word is the most important. And we, you're right. We shouldn't just get to the point in our, our Christianity and our, in our walk with the Lord, where we're just kind of a, a bystander, an observer of, of what the Lord's doing in someone else's life. No, he's doing things in our life too. We need to be an active participant. And yes, it's important to observe what he's doing with other people, but that can't be the main gig, the main gig needs to be our own walk with the Lord. So I love that you bring that up. Well, and 
you know, just in the reality that we live in the culture we do today and just there's warnings throughout scripture that we have to be alert for, you know, false teachings and stuff. If we're not reading the word of God, how are we going to even know and be able to discern what, you know, real truth or scripture truth would be if we weren't actually, you know, in the word or in scripture on a day-to-day basis. And we're just easily swayed by something that might just be 5% off what the real truth is. And so it's so important. Um, I'm so grateful you shared that because I know that's just such a practical step that we can take today in our quiet time to say, okay, um, you know, what is standing out to me? What is God saying? And how can I apply this in prayer for myself today? So I'm just really grateful that you shared that and all the wisdom that you shared today. I kind of want to know, um, some fun things that's going on in your life. I know that you have had a busy season of speaking engagements and, you know, a book. I think, are you releasing two books this year? Did I hear that correctly? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I Bless am. it. <laughs> well, I thought I heard is, that. Yeah, well, one is is the marriage book, Keep Showing Up. And another one is a devotional that I wrote with my dear friend and co-author, Ruth Schwenk. She and I wrote a devotional for moms years ago called Pressing Pause, and we are coming out with a sequel. It's for women in general, and it's called Settle My Soul, and it's 100 devotions to help um, for women to meet with Jesus, 100 quiet moments to meet with Jesus. Yeah, That is so good. So I wrote a book and a half. A book and a half I wrote. Okay, that's still a whole lot. So I know that there's probably some stuff right now in your life that you've had to put into practice to kind of just make sure that you – are dealing with some self-care, some things that you're loving, all the things. Like what are some of the things that you just can't get enough of right now that you want to share? And they can be, you know, other things like your books and stuff. But are there any things or is there anything in your life right now that you've just been obsessed with lately that you just want to share, like you're sharing with a girlfriend? You know, I would say the thing I've been doing the most lately is just trying to to um, break up with my screens, now, okay. I'm not somebody that's extremely connected to my screens in my life, my phone, my iPad, my my computer, whatever, um, because I just do it for, you know, a hobby and pleasure and to pass the time. I mean, I do have to be on screens for what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. That's important. But what happens is often when I'm doing work with a screen, you know, whoop, squirrel, there goes something running by. I see this... Uh, you link come up in something and now all of a sudden, you know how it is. You're you're yeah. clicking and tapping your way to a black hole that has sucked <laughs> your time. Yep. And then I think, you know, things that fill me up are encouraging other people, listening kind of between the lines for other people and maybe hearing when they're concerned about something or they're afraid about something and doing something to encourage them. I love to write handwritten notes. I love to Think of creative, inexpensive little gifts to send somebody in the mail that I'm I'm dear friends with, but they live states and states away. That fills me up. I'm just an encourager. That's what I love to do. But I see so often in my life when I'm super frustrated because I haven't had any time to reach out to my best friend from college, to send a note to somebody that God's been continually placing on my heart. I look at my life and go, oh, you know what? If you'd set the stupid cell phone down, you probably would have had time Mm -hmm. to do that. But instead Mm -hmm. you were clicking and tapping your way around and it started out with a news story that was very interesting and something I really wanted to be up on. And all of a sudden, you know, you're watching crazy cat videos or whatever, you know? (laughs) Um, So I think for me, just lately, just, you know, thinking I sometimes spend so much time touching screens instead of touching lives. And it's my own, it's my own fault. 
And I need to just not get sucked into that black hole. But it's very, I'm, I'm actually researching and reading some books on this, how this is just something our brains become easily addicted to. And yet, I, you know, and it's like any habit you try to break, you so don't want to do it, but you also so want to do it. You know, <laughs> it's hard because your, your right. mind knows in your heart, your heart knows I shouldn't be doing this, but it's like your body just takes over and all of a sudden, I'll put my phone down and go, okay, I was really done working at five o'clock. It's now like 527. And for mm -hmm. 27 minutes, I've just blown time when I could have shut all the screens down, walked out, you know, if it's nice weather out to my back deck and taken a, a couple note cards and, and written a couple note cards to people. And that fills me up and it encourages other people. But I don't carve out time for it sometimes because I'm so attached to that screen. It's just always there calling my name and I need to learn to stop listening to it. I'm the same way. I've been wanting to read that book. I don't know who it's by and I might not say the title right, but kind of, I think the book is called How Your Phone is Changing You or something like that. Okay. Um, and, and I think actually maybe I saw Whitney Caps was reading it, but I've been wanting to get that because I'm just realizing like before we know it, I'm just like back on my phone or Daniel and I were having a conversation and then somehow we both got on our phones and how did this happen? And so I, well, I'm and you know, not to interrupt you, but it just makes me think of, of um, one of the things about the book I thought was so interesting. The marriage book is I yes. asked women their greatest areas of conflict in marriage and I gave them a list and I put other, and I didn't even have this on the list, but enough women put other that it ended up being, I think number four. Oh. Uh, area of conflict was, guess what? Competing with my husband's devices for his attention. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And I that's totally true. agree. And, mm -hmm. and even I'm sure my husband would say the same about me. It's not just men, you know, like it's right. me watching, you know, some blogger on Instagram's story for the fifth time today, whatever it is. Um, yes, I can mm -hmm. so see how it's just like a way to numb out and to not have conversation. And so I, I'm really trying to think through ways. I think I've seen some people like have like a phone box or something at the beginning of their house and everyone has to kind of have like a, a technology drop and they ha like have phone free hours at home. And I really have got to do that. But I agree. It's hard when your work is attached to it because there's no way of separating it. But I did see, and you should look into this, that iPhones or Apple just created a way that you can set boundaries. Yes. Yes. And I, I, I have got to do that. I have not done it yet, but I'm going to put that on my to-do list today because this is conversation is just showing me. I love that you said touching. Did you say touching screens rather than touching lives? I'm going to try and remember mm -hmm. this. Well, and you know, the other thing that's been helpful to me is I removed the Twitter app and the Facebook app from my phone. Oh. So if I want to get on Twitter, that's my black hole is Twitter because I love news stories and I always like, I have this list of all these news outlets. Um, if I want to tweet or post on Facebook or get on there, I have to actually go into my office and open my laptop. Right. So it it's helped a lot. Me a lot. Work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then I'm not, I'm not fiddling around on a dinner date with my husband on Facebook because it's not on my phone. I would have to actually open a browser, go there, log in, and uh, I'm not going to do that. So that's right. been really helpful for me. Now I didn't uh, delete Instagram off because Instagram's my fave. I know. You know, and I gotta I'm take a, I gotta take a picture of what my husband and I are eating on a I date. I know, right? and someone has to know. <laughs> I know. They do. I, I totally feel that. Oh, I'm so glad that you talked about that. And such an alarming statistic too that, you know, that's mm -hmm. gonna probably be what my culture and below me struggles with most. And as a top three issue in marriage, honestly, is just like we're constantly being fed and 
all, all of the ways on our social media. So I'm so glad you shared that. And honestly, just so thankful you shared all of the practical advice you did. I'm so excited for your book to come out in February, this book to come out in February. When does your devotion come out? March. March. Okay. Wow. Back to back. Yes, ma'am. Um, okay. Well, is there any way or any information regarding a pre-order for Keep Showing Up? There is. And if they just go to my website, KarenEman.com, and Eman is E-H-M-A-N, they can find out all about it. We're, we're still in the, the works of what all the different fun freebies are going to okay. be. Um, but they will be there. Awesome. Well, I will put a link to everything we talked about and all of the information regarding yes. you and your book and our show notes. But Karen, thank you so much for just sharing um, all of your practical wisdom with marriage and communication and relationships with all of us today. I know it's going to be super helpful for everyone who got to listen today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. I loved this episode so much. I know I have multiple files that are teens with Daniel in our marriage, and I'm so thankful that the wisdom she shares not only is beneficial for those in marriage, but for any relationship you find yourself in today. You can find all of the fun things we talked about from today's episode in our show notes at BehindTheBlissPodcast.com. We have been so encouraged by everyone's continued support for the podcast. Truly, it blows our minds to read your direct messages, your emails, your Instagram posts, and your reviews on iTunes. Speaking of those iTunes reviews, if you have 30 seconds today, could you leave us one? Reviews are so helpful for those who may have never heard of our show decide to join our community of listeners. Thank y'all so much for joining us and we'll see you next week.